Hey everybody, Joe here from the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. If you enjoy what we do here on the show and you think it's worth your hard-earned money, you can support the show via Patreon. Just a $1 donation gets you access to bonus episodes, our Discord, and regular episodes before everybody else. If you donate at an elevated level, you get even more bonus content. A digital copy of my book, The Hooligans of Kandahar, and a sticker from our Teespring store. Our show will always be ad-free and is totally supporter-driven. We use that money to pay our bills, buy research materials that make this show possible, and support charities like the Kurdish Red Crescent, the Flint Water Fund, and the Halo Trust. Consider joining the Legion of the Old Crow today. And now back to the show. Hello, and welcome to yet another edition of the Lines of My Donkeys podcast. I'm Joe, and with me today is Nick. Yes. <laughs> That's right. Yes. We have a fucking soundboard now. It's a fucking intro. I fucking... Oh, best intro ever. Now, uh, obviously... We have a soundboard now, and also I will attempt to do my best uh, to restrain myself from using it continuously. Uh, though that will be harder today, as I just pounded a fucking Rockstar energy drink that tasted like chemistry. There's a good thing I don't have it on my side. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I was like, oh man, I have to make sure Nick can't hit this, whatever the fuck he wants. <laughs> and 60,000 people died. Beep, 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 beep. To be fair, I kind of plan on using it that way, but only if it's like, if like the CIA pops up, I'm going to hit the fucking soundboard. I have you, to. You got to. Or if like other things pop up that, um, I don't know, just shit we've talked about a lot. Like, I don't know, suddenly Nazis arrive. <laughs> um, or I don't know, uh, what are the two topics that piss people off more than anything else that we talk about? The Confederacy and Rhodesia. I feel like those are hip hop horn worthy. Yeah. Um, speaking of those things, uh, we have talked about things like war crimes, uh, psychological experiments, uh, crazy people doing weird things on acid. Um, we've talked about uh, really weird, racist, insane people ending up in fighting wars in Africa. And uh, rarely do those things Voltron together into a giant fighting robot of human suffering, quite like a guy named Matthew Charles Lamb. Have you ever heard of Matthew Charles Lamb? Sounds really familiar. Now, part of me wants to tell you immediately why the fuck I'm talking about Matthew Charles Lamb, but I honestly want you to be as surprised as I was when I discovered this guy's existence. I don't understand why he sounds familiar. Maybe it's just the name that sounds familiar. I don't know. It, it, it's three three names, all of them common. I don't know. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm honestly thinking. Uh, have we officially gotten to the point that we've done so many episodes we're talking about the same thing over again? I don't think so. Absolutely not. Uh, when that time comes, uh, I don't know. It'll happen. I, I feel like someone will tell us. Um, uh, this actually came from a fan. So, like, uh, if you're like, oh, I've suggested things to these guys and they never do it. I swear to God, sometimes I fucking listen. Sometimes. Um, and this is one of those times. So, bear with me. I want you to be as surprised as I was. Because I, 
while reading through this guy's life, which required piecing through a whole... Uh, no, uh, oh. absolutely not. Uh, which required reading through a whole bunch of really old copies of the Ontario Star uh, newspaper. Uh, oh, right. Uh, Canada, this one's yours. It's not ours. Um, it, it was fucking... It's, it, it's so weird to me that this man a, existed and B was able to do all of the things that we're going to talk about. Uh, because it, it seems like there should be laws in place that stop spree killers from traveling overseas um are you like are you so i guess the term spree killer could also mean like mass shooter um i I feel like those two terms are interchangeable um it's not like a serial killer they have to do it all at once there's definitions at play i guess um so matthew charles lamb was born january 5th 1948 in windsor ontario canada uh, right across the bridge from me, actually. Uh, it's like really? 15 minutes away from Detroit. Yeah, uh, it's like it's so close that, um, well, Ontario is like the one part of Canada that's south of the United States just because the way Michigan shaped. Um, and we used to like go over the bridge because the drinking age over there is like 19. So nice. you turn 19, you go over the bridge, get fucked up. And it's totally legal, uh, but way more expensive. So I don't really know what the point was. Yeah, I don't think you ever had the chance to do that. I did on leave, yeah, because I mean, oh. I enlisted when I was 17, but I was home on leave uh, right after I turned 19, and I got to experience that. And I got to say, like, after, may, maybe the experience was missed on me, right? Because, like, when you join the military, drinking age is just kind of a vibe. Everybody just buys you beer. It doesn't matter. Pretty much. Yeah, so, like, my brother was like, oh, let's go drink legally. I'm like, uh, I've been kind of doing that for two years. But, yeah. So, young Matt was born into a rough spot. Uh, so he was born to uh, it, his mother was a 15 year old single mother, uh, and she honestly probably did the right thing by abandoning him immediately. <laughs> oh, now she a, didn't know that her son would grow up to be <laughs> no, uh, no, she like uh, like I don't know like rugby passed him off to a fucking relative. Um, now like mothers don't know that their kids are going to grow up to be dicks. Um, Otherwise, I'm sure I would have been abandoned too. But like, knowing I feel like you had the same face. Uh, he, uh, no, we look like the same exact faces. No, as when you were born, as I did now. Yeah, same yeah. size too. Yeah, wow. <laughs> like a really tiny baby body, but a gigantic head. Also, already like with a bald spot. Oh yeah, fully grown beard too. Uh, as is tradition amongst my people. Um, now, uh. Matt was uh, passed off to uh, his grandma uh, after kind of like hot, like hot couching through a couple relatives' houses. Now, I don't know if you can consider it hot, is, couch, hot couching if it's an infant. Yeah, that's what I, was just saying. I was like, God damn! He's like, All right, well, I'm gonna get up out of here. Uh, listen, you uh, you you got to start like you know. You said you're gonna be here a little while, but you know, a couple years of pastor still here. Wow! Look, <laughs> look, I get it. You're a baby, but we need to get a fucking job, baby. Um, but eventually, grandma took him in. Grandma seems to be mostly okay. Um, also, uh, he never knew who his dad was, and the best anybody could ever come up with was, like, he traveled to the United States where he was then murdered. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, like, I, I don't know if that's true or not. I know if I was his dad, I would also say that. Solid. Um, yeah. So, Did mom ever come to visit? No. Uh, oh. <laughs> he, 
Yeah, he's like from everything that I found, he has absolutely no memory uh, of his mother. Um, the only thing I could find is he's really close to his grandma, uh, but his step grandfather um, was a huge bastard. Um, grandma had just got remarried to a guy named Christopher Collins, and uh, like they had been dating for a while and got married, and then Grandma took this kid in. Um, so like the new husband, a uh, step grandpa, which is a weird title to have. So you um, married the wrong Collins. Uh, any other Collins is better, I suppose. Yeah, like all, Phil Collins. All, all Collinses are bastards. Actually, that's not true. I know a guy named Collins, decidedly not a bastard. Um, you know, I enjoyed sorry, the Tarzan soundtrack. Did he do the Phil Collins of the Tarzan soundtrack? Yeah. No way. Wait, wait yeah, which Tarzan think, are we talking about? The original. Why do you think that it was so good? I don't remember the original. Oh. Is it the one with Brendan Fraser? No. That one's good because it's bad i don't know did like you like the, the mummy one? movies yeah yeah like the same st- yeah the same brendan fraser ended up with as tarzan at one point what yeah it was real bad it's terrible that sounds awful no i'm talking about disney uh, much better uh i mean eh, it got to be better than a live action tarzan film i don't know there's the a scars guard there's there's, <laughs> there's gonna be a lot of brendan fraser fans like how dare you that means you like the movie <laughs> The mummy. I mean, I I do like the mummy, not the not the Scorpion King. That one's dog shit. The that mummy's awful. Oh God, CGI in the. I think that was early two thousand. Still looked like shit. Uh, I think they just cut the budget. Uh, but anyway, uh, step grandpa Christopher really didn't get into this relationship expecting to actually have to parent someone. So he took this out all of yeah yeah. Uh, and I instead you were of a grandma. I thought we were past this point. Now, admittedly, Grandma would also be pretty young in this scenario because Mom was 15. Oh, yeah. I forgot right? about that part. I forgot about <laughs> Mom already, to be honest. <laughs> to be fair, so did he. Um, it's true. So, like, he didn't take it the right way. And by that means, he, he became incredibly abusive. Um, nobody's really been able to sure figure out why um, other than, like, the, he just didn't want to be the guy's dad. So uh, he started emotionally and physically abusing him, chasing him around the house, beating him and screaming insults. According to members of the Lamb family, uh, Collins never actually called the boy by his name other than in a newspaper interview after all of the things we're going to talk about today. Uh, Instead, he only addressed him as, quote, that little bastard. (laughs) (laughs) Which would your dad call you? I don't remember. Uh, I, I... I assume the little one um, is the youngest. Uh, but uh, Collins was an all-around dickhead. Uh, when he he wasn't beating his adopted son, he was also beating his wife. Um, and, oh, yeah, and they and she didn't go down without a fight. Like they, this wouldn't. This was not like a one-side affair. Uh, they would beat the shit out of each other, uh, and they would just like wreck the entire home. Uh, oh, well, now, see, they both enjoyed it. I wouldn't go that far. So maybe love <laughs> had was involved with it. Like most uh, healthy Canadian marriages, they they kissed each other with their fists. Now, um, yeah, like <laughs> most houses in uh, Canada, there's a boxing ring inside it. Those Canadians sure are contentious folk. Um, like a lot of kids that grew up in houses like that one, he began to internalize this shit um, as he was seeing. Like he, like when you grow up in an abusive household, shocker, you come to normalize physical violence towards people because you just assume that that's how people operate. Right. Right. Um, 
And while a lot of people described Matt as a smart kid, uh, he began to turn into a fucking asshole, which, surprise. Oh, yeah, I fucking believe it. Now, at first, this violence is directed at his own family. Uh, this, in- this included his grandma and step-grandpa, though that was normally kept in line because he was much younger and they were able to beat the shit out of him. Um, but it also included his much younger cousins. Uh, when his cousins came over to visit, he would trap them in his room, force them into his closet, and lock them inside. What the fuck? Yeah. If they called out for help, he would threaten them with an ass beating, eventually following through one time. He beat one of his cousins so badly they required hospitalization and had a spinal injury. Jesus. Yeah. Probably stunned his ass. Yeah. This is before that. Uh, so I don't know what, uh, I don't know, um, action movie type shit? Uh I get maybe kids back then had to be more creative with their violence. When like I was growing up, my brother would just watch a WWF. Like I'm gonna try that on Dude, Joe, and then get pile drive into. I think a that's what table. every single brother does. Because <laughs> that's how I sprained my ankle. My my brother said, mm, "Kurt Angle is cool," and put me in an ankle lock. I'm not sure which one of those things is worse: the fact that you got your ankle fucked up by an ankle lock, or your brother liked Kurt Angle. He liked Kurt Angle. <laughs> uh, one of these times, so his friend remembered. At the age of seven, Lamb forced a neighborhood kid to eat dog shit at knife point. What? Yeah, this kid's a fucking psycho. Um, at school, he ignored other kids, even when they tried to become his friends, and he generally just blew them all off. At other times, he would lash out into spells of seemingly random violence against his classmates, punching or kicking people at random in the hallway as they walked by. Don't worry, my grandparents do this. I love you guys. Despite this, the schools he attended later said he was weird, but didn't pay and didn't pay a lot of attention in class. But overall, normal. I assume this is just how this is what mental health was like back then. They're like, well, uh, yeah, little Matt seems to punch everybody that walks by him, but uh, he's fine. He's a feisty one. Yeah. Now it was around this time that Lamb began carrying a knife everywhere he went. Oh, and, one uh, of those types of kids. He was a knife kid, uh, and he would eventually turn to a gun kid, uh, which oh. You know, bad turns out he shouldn't have guns uh he would not hesitate on pulling out this knife to both show it off and threaten people um i guess to eat more dog shit uh and also to rob them look at this uh, bad boy he did that hawk 4000 got this from bud k <laughs> <laughs> now a teenager uh classmate greg sweet uh said he was a fucking asshole his uh, his school may have said that he was normal uh, but they seem to be the only people who would ever hold that opinion. <laughs> Besides his love of knives, he's also obsessed with guns and began to write letters to a guy named George Lincoln Rockwell. If you're not familiar with him, he's the leader of the American Nazi Party. This guy's writing letters to him? Yeah. Uh, like, I, I, like I, I assume with the do you like me circle yes or no. Uh, what age is this? Is he, st- he is in maybe freshman year of high school at this point. He's pretty young. What the fuck? Uh, also, according to Sweet Lamb, once attempted to join the local KKK while working as a golf caddy uh, because he got really, really mad because he was hired to carry the gloves of a of a black man with red hair. The, the The very concept of a black man with red hair infuriated him because he didn't think that was right. Uh, that man was Sammy Davis Jr., by the way. Uh, <laughs> what? So meeting Sammy Davis Jr. in real life made... Fucking Matthew Lamb, a Nazi. <laughs> Just like so infuriated at the concept that a, a black guy could have red hair. Uh, 
right. didn't remember Sammy Davis Jr. having red hair. Maybe it was dyed at the time. I know a lot about Sammy Davis Jr. Other than the fact I know who he is. I just know uh, he's a singer. And, and the fact that uh, he was like apparently with a white woman, which just set him the fuck off. Uh, shockingly, he did not assault him. Uh, I assumed he would. Uh, but yeah, I, I couldn't yeah, find I why the he... right knife for this situation. <laughs> I just had this whole bag full of metal clubs. Uh, I couldn't find why he wasn't able to join the KKK. I assume it was because like he just didn't know anybody in it. Because there's certainly Klansmen in Canada, uh, or at least clan sympathetic people. Now, it was also at this age that Lamb started dabbling in explosives. What the fuck? <laughs> What kind of explosives uh, do you have in your area? Is it easily like obtainable? I mean, you can make explosives out of, I don't know, shit you buy at the hardware store. I'm not going to go into it because it would definitely get us banned from the internet. But like, I you feel don't... like when you were younger, you looked at the anarchist cookbook. Who didn't? <laughs> I mean, like, of course I fucking did. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you can you can make that shit out of anything you find, and especially hardware stores back then. Jesus Christ. Like... There's certain kinds of fertilizer you can use, which are now you just can't buy because of, you know, you can easily make explosives out of them oh, that you it. could just buy at the fucking corner store in the 70s, 60s and 70s, which is when this is taking place. Um, now, he wasn't very good uh, at dabbling with explosives, as most you know explosive dabblers eventually find out. Those things explode sometimes when you don't want them to. Right. And this happened while he was fucking with one of his bombs, peppering his leg and chest with shrapnel, though somehow not badly wounding him. Uh, he was barely injured other than the fact that he had like a whole bunch of really small scars up and down his legs. Uh, he also began to collect firearms, something that was shockingly easy at the time. Uh, also because his step-grandfather owned a bunch and uh, just kept them laying around unsecured. Uh, well, like, I know this is like the 50s and 60s and 70s or whatever, but like... You already know your kid's a fucking lunatic. Lock the shit up. Well, when another lunatic sees another lunatic, they think they're normal. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, I see you're also an abusive dickhead. Yeah. I'm going to leave guns on the table. This is the desk gun. This is the kitchen gun. I feel like it was probably one of those houses because he had shotguns and handguns. Oh, I told um, Oh, I believe it. Uh, but he also began stockpiling shit. Like He realized that if he just like stole a whole bunch of bullets from his, his step-grandparents... Or step grandfather, he wouldn't like try to find him or anything. But like, hey, you little shit, where'd my bullets go? He would just go buy more. So like, he would watch him like, ah, guess I'm out of bullets. I'll go buy <laughs> like it's milk. <laughs> like, I'm surprised he doesn't do inventory on it. I don't know, Collins. Where the fuck are they going? <laughs> do you remember shooting recently? No. Oh, then they're probably still in your house. So yeah, he would just keep going and buying them. Um. Uh, and, and like a totally normal, normal person, uh, Matt did something that is like a telltale sign of a fucking psycho. And as he began writing the names of people that he hated on the bullets, most of these oh. were local cops. <laughs> Which, Jesus. Like, he didn't even know them. Uh, he just like knew like it's, it's kind of like a small town atmosphere. So like he knew them, but he wasn't known to the cops yet. That would change. Um he thought the cops were harassing him and stalking him everywhere he went. Um, and like some of the cops may have known about him because he kind of got a reputation for being not all there and all you know threatening people with knives, which right. is apparently not against the law in Ontario at the time because he was never arrested for it. What is it like one of those little slap on the wrist like, mm, 
frowned upon, but kids will be kids. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I don't know. Uh, he wasn't picked up until he started doing some pretty serious shit. <laughs> I feel like there's a thing in Michigan too. Uh, not not so much. When I was a kid, I certainly got away with more than I would now, and obviously the color of my skin certainly helped with that. Um, but yeah, and I'm it's a hundred percent that way with with Lamb as well. If Lamb was member of the First Nations or a black person, he's not getting away with this stuff. Because, uh, you know, time eternal racism and stuff. But uh, cops are keeping a kind of an eye on him, especially after the, you know, the bomb went off. Uh, <laughs> but apparently not a great eye. Because by the time he was around 15, he would occasionally walk around in a residential area near his house in the middle of the night and fire shotgun rounds at people's houses that he didn't like. What the fuck? Yes. And like it was, see, it was at random, but also people that didn't like Lamb and got in fights with them at school would find like their windows getting shot out in the middle of the night. So people like knew it was him. Like, oh, there goes Matt again, firing off his shotgun through residential areas. And the cops are just like, mm. he never got arrested for it. Um, this guy's having fucking shootouts in front of his house with by himself. Yeah, how's <laughs> this? <laughs> like, how's this okay to him? I don't know. Uh, but he finally uh, stepped out of line. He did something that would finally get him hooked up. Uh, on February 10th, 1964, when he was the ripe old age of 16, Lamb confronted a cop outside the Windsor Arena. In broad daylight, in front of a crowd of people, he challenged he just, him <laughs> to a duel. Join me! <laughs> uh, <laughs> he just started swinging on the cop, flailing his tiny fuck? little fists at his face. <laughs> Now, it's noted in the newspaper article uh, from the Ontario Star that this cop was several times larger than Lamb. Uh, and the cop easily smashed the little fucker, uh, finding a knife and brass knuckles on him before... Uh, he just didn't use the brass arresting knuckles? Him. Like, or the knife, which, you know, we might not like cops on this podcast, but we're, we're not pro-stabbing them. Uh, so My whole I'm thing glad is that like, didn't happen. You're, you're going for the swing and you got brass knuckles in your pocket. I think this was a last minute decision, clearly. It probably. He seems very impulsive and he's clearly not right in the head. Fuck so, this guy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That guy fucking looked at me wrong. Uh and like the cop was uh I think he said he was doing something else and he just started getting blasted out of nowhere. <laughs> uh and like he wasn't alone. There was another cop like right next to him. So the, like, no normal brain is gonna be like, I can win this. Oh, they got uh, hockey later tonight in the arena. What the fuck? He tried to pull the cop's jersey over his head. Um, no reason was ever given for this. Uh, like you know, he's how he he said cops are harassing him, but he never said like that cop in particular was. He just started swinging. Kids insane. You're certainly onto something. I'll give you that much. Mm. Uh, spoiler alert on how this ends. Now, this is the 1960s, and he was still a minor. So he was given a two-year suspended sentence uh, after six months at the Youth Offenders Unit near London, Ontario. Uh, this was enough to get him kicked out of his home and sent to live with his uncle in East Windsor, which was not a great idea. Uh, because his uncle, turns out, was, was a worse father than his uh, step-grandfather, uh, who mm. was physically abusing him. So the bar is already very low. Oh, yeah. Uh, his uncle demanded that he go back to school, uh, but he dropped out and decided that he would look for a job instead. He bounced around working various shitty odd jobs, but couldn't keep them. Now, if this is in the 2020s, I assume this is where he starts a podcast. Um, but 
Unfortunately for him, it's the 60s. Well, he's fucking, he'd be in there. Cops have a fucking radio in my head. I could hear him all the time. I can hear the music in my teeth. Uh, now, if he lived in the United States, he could probably just look forward to getting drafted and getting his legs blown off in Vietnam at this point. Uh, but he, unfortunately, he's in Possibly. Camp. Yeah. On December 24th, 1964, he broke into the front window of the Lakeview Marine and Equipment Store. And because this is the 60s, they had guns. Um, like, you, you, like, you know, but even in America back in the day, you'd go to a hardware store and buy a gun. Uh, Kando was still kind of like that. So he stole a whole bunch of handguns and shotguns and ammo. Police and the store's owner, who lived upstairs, quickly responded to the break-in. So Lamb used one of his stolen handguns to shoot at them. He missed, and the cops fired back. Uh, at this point, Lamb made the, the one, I don't know, well-adjusted decision that he made so far. I should probably surrender. So he did. <laughs> he, he did enough fucking around and fighting out for one day. Now, walking out with his hands up, he was ta- he's brought into custody. But unfortunately for Lamb, uh, this time he was 17. Uh, and at the time of his trial, that meant he could be tried as an adult. Uh, now, the judge deemed the Lamb beyond rehabilitation for this. And again, I'm not sure if this is because it's the 1960s or because that's Canada. And Canada had some super lax sentencing for white kids who shoot at cops at the time. Uh, but he's only given two years. Oh. For a gunfight. <laughs> you get more than that for I don't know having any quantity of drugs uh, outside of the few states that have legalized weed here in the United States. Two years, two years for exchanging gunfire with cops. Jesus, like I'm not pro prison here, but like goddamn, this is low. And you know, you'll figure out why. I don't want to go into why this is obviously a miscarriage of justice, but we'll get there. He was shipped off to the maximum security Kingston Penitentiary, uh, and they began to do a psyche valve on him. Somehow, the first psyche valve he had ever gotten, despite everything we've just talked about. I I know my bar is low, but every once in a while, I'm like, fuck, man, really? I know, like, at the time, psychiatric care was like, I don't know, put some electrodes in his butthole and shock him. Uh, Like, you know, like, medicine at the time. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Stick this in his brain and swivel it around a bit. You know, like, bar is low. Uh, you've managed to fail that. Uh, but doctors noted he uh, had a very hard time controlling his behavior and was attracted to guns. No shit. <laughs> you think they showed up those little, like, ink blots? What do you see here? Gun. Mm. What's this next one? Gun. <laughs> interesting. Interesting. How about this one? Gun. Oh, butterfly. <laughs> Holding a gun. All right. <laughs> Uh, the, the doctor also said that, uh, he was very close to a mental breakdown and something should be done, uh, to make sure that he didn't experience that breakdown. You want to, you want to guess what they did? Gave him a knife. Oh. Honestly, uh, not surprised, uh, if they would have done that, but they did something that was incredibly damaging and that is put him in solitary confinement. Oh, which you is, uh, by yourself. <laughs> Which, like, I'm not saying that maybe he shouldn't have been away from, from other people for a little bit, uh, assuming there was some, you know, palliative therapy going on. But they just locked him in a room by himself for a long, long time. Like, well, you're getting a little rowdy. <laughs> right on cue, that night, Lamb shoved a broomstick up his own ass. Oh, God. Uh, when discovered by guards, he got up and ran away from them. Broomstick still sticking out of his ass. And See, he had to be tackled. Legs. More sprinting power. <laughs> 
He had to be tackled and uh, medically sedated so they could take it out without hurting him. Uh, shockingly, the doctor said that Lamb happened to be getting worse. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what gave him that idea. Why is there a broomstick in solitary confinement? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think they're very good at their jobs. Hey, can uh, you clean that cell for us? All right. Thank we'll you. Just leave this thing that could be a weapon on the floor of the cell that we're going to put the crazy guy in. Uh, he, so he could hurt himself with it. Now, uh, he said that Lamb was experiencing, quote, elaborate fantasies involving robberies, fights, and shootings. Again, shocker. Uh, yeah. I don't imagine that this guy uh, is, goes by the name Dr. Fucking Obvious, but, you know, come on now. Come on. That's like uh, South Park, the fucking uh, hero, uh, Captain Obvious. <laughs> He's like, well, you should have you put this there and this there. All right, well. I'm done. And then he doesn't save anybody. <laughs> <laughs> the doctor swoops in. If you take the broom out of the, uh, the, the mental health ward, people can't hurt themselves with it. Then he just leaves by and leaves the broom there in the corner. <laughs> yeah. Now, during his time in prison, Lamb would attempt to kill himself pretty much every month. Uh, and also fight the guards with such regularity. It just like they just assumed it was going to happen. He also shoved another broom up his ass. Jesus. Uh, they should stop he, leaving broomsticks around him. Stop leaving broomsticks around him! Uh, he then squatted and then began to sweep the floor using the broomstick that was in his ass, Ugh. scooting around and laughing as the guards attempted to chase him. Did you decide to put that in the script? Uh, yes. Just, just, okay. I got something for you. Broomsticks! <laughs> 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 uh, when he was asked why he did this because like yeah you're going to ask that question he was asked uh, he, he simply responded that he really didn't like the guard that was on duty and he wanted to annoy him which I have fuck man I've hated a lot of people in my life I don't know if I've ever hated anybody that much um, yeah, I don't know if I ever sat around in school you know like you know what I need to sweep this floor with my ass. You know what really piss off the teacher right now? If I shoved a broomstick up my ass and scooted around a little bit. In all honesty, that probably would. That would probably. certainly make a lot of people unhappy all around you in your entire life. Including yes. yourself. I know I would be very unhappy with it. But you're committed at that point. So you got you have no choice. It. I mean, yeah. if, if you've committed to a bit so hard, you're fucking yourself with a broom. You, you know, I hope going. it's not the wood one because, you know, splinters. It's the 60s. It's got to be mm. wood. I'd go with like a carbon fiber. <laughs> I don't know if he was te- testing the quality of the material. <laughs> yeah. mm, that's not a hard of... birch. I kind of like cedar. Uh, this is a nice elm br- uh, broom. <laughs> I, I don't think there was a lot of like forethought in between point A and B. Um, so, uh, yeah. He was released on April 18th, 1966, with the doctor warning that if he was released, he would commit another, probably worse crime that would land him right back in prison. Uh, And, of course, that's exactly what happened. Try me. On uh, 17 days later, uh, 17 days after he was released from prison, he found a shotgun in his uncle's house. Um, Again, way to drop the ball there, members of the fucking Greater Lamb family. You're... This fucking this kid, kid took was my just rug re- gun. <laughs> just leaving guns all over. Yeah, we just realized you get released from prison and you're, you're probably not all there, but, uh, you know, it's fine. Just shotgun. This new bad boy. This shotgun has a safety on it. 
Um, it's bad ass. After picking up the shotgun, he went out into town, and around 10 p.m., he hid behind a tree and waited. Six people eventually approached him, and Lamb jumped out from behind the tree, pointing the gun at them and screaming, Stop! Put your hands up! And then he shot them. He hit Edith Tchaikovsky in the chest, Andrew Wolick in the stomach, and winged Kenneth Tchaikovsky uh, in, I believe, the side. He took off running across the street, firing into random houses, wounding someone named Grace Dunlop. After he calmly walked away, knocked on a random door, and held an old lady at gunpoint, threatening to kill her. The only reason he didn't is he, sh- is he realized that she was not alone and had to run away because he only had one bullet left. And he, then he chucked the shotgun into a random backyard and went to sleep. He became the first spree killer in Canadian history. Fuck. Yep. Edith, Edith Tchaikovsky died of her wounds the next day and Wolick a few weeks after that. Uh, Lamb was arrested the day after the shooting after cops found the weapon he used, traced it back to his uncle, and then found, oh yeah, Matt lives there. Lamb was charged with one count of capital murder, eventually upgraded to two, uh, and at the time, under Canadian law, he uh, faced a mandatory death sentence. Uh, well, oh, okay, I thought they were going to go with like, alright, you gotta serve five years this time. This time we'll give you three! Um, it was kind of understood uh, at the time that nobody would be executed in Canada. Death sentences were passed down, uh, but never actually implemented. Kind of like California today. Mm. But if you're sentenced to death, you can't get out. Because uh, like your, your sentence is to die. Uh, so uh-huh. it's, it's a life without parole sentence. So a good little life sentence, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, while being led to court, he attempted to escape, which didn't go great. Uh, and he was put in for another psyche val, which he failed uh, with flying colors. It's widely believed he kind of lied, uh, saying things like he like he was saying that he didn't remember the shooting, um, or even his parents or grandparents. Uh, something he would later go on to say he totally did remember. Um, mm. Now I'm not arguing that something was clearly not right with Matthew Charles Lamb, uh, but I do believe he hammed it up a bit for the for the uh, psychiatrist because he knew he was facing a death sentence too. Uh, he was eventually deemed unfit to stay in trial and committed to a mental hospital for 30 days. Uh, so for, for people who are unaware, if, say, you're, you're deemed unfit to stay in trial, that doesn't mean that you just like, oh, guess we can't try you, and then you, send, you get sent home. Uh, you get sent to a hospital where you're treated, and then eventually, at any point, you are deemed fit to stay in trial. Then you go back to court. If you're, not, if you're never deemed not fit to stay in trial, you just stay in the fucking hospital, right? Um, right. So after 30 days, uh, or he was evaluated, I think twice. So about you know 60 to 90 days. Uh, the doctors then said that he could uh, understand the charges that were uh, he was facing. So he's yeah, good to he's stay in trial. good to go. Uh, we're missing broomsticks, though. Yeah, we have a uh, there's not a single broom left in this hospital. Very clean, though. Very very well swept. Um, his defense, to the surprise of nobody, was that he was crazy. Five different doctors from the hospital that he was staying in all agreed to testify to the fact that he was, in fact, insane. But his lawyer was worried that if they called Lamb to the stand, he would appear sane, uh, thus tanking his own defense by not being crazy. So he simply didn't. Mm. The only doctor the prosecution put forward never even examined Lamb, something that was pointed out pretty quickly and made them look really bad at their job. Now, the defense is pretty worried that the jury would still find him guilty, uh, or at least not crazy enough to not find him culpable for his own crimes. 
Uh, so they reminded him that finding him guilty or not guilty because of insanity did not mean he was free. Instead, it meant that he would stay in the hospital probably forever. It just meant that he would go to a psych hospital rather than a prison, and he would not be put to death. I imagine psych hospitals back then sucked. They suck now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, probably a hundred times worse. Uh or like even if the doc like the the only way he could ever get released from the hospital was that if the doctors concluded through some miracle that he was no longer a threat to anyone and that did not happen often if at all so they're like look guys come on he's just going to go to a hospital prison instead of a prison prison there's no difference here the defense worked and he was found not guilty by reason of insanity and sent off to Oak Ridge Maximum Security Mental Hospital uh, now, because we're doing this episode about him, I think you already know that he does not stay in this hospital forever. No. Um, now he fell under the care of Elliot Barker, a man I have to say probably as crazy as Lamb. Um, now Barker believed in radical experimental treatment. Uh, now this, of course, goes with standard treatments of the day, which is mostly electroconvulsive therapy. Uh, right. which is you know getting the piss shocked out of your brain. One of the things that Barker invented uh, for treatment was the total encounter capsule. Now, uh, that sounds weird. I assure you it's weirder than it sounds. Sounds like a Bowflex ad. (laughs) (laughs) So, so this is a group isolation exercise where multiple people would be locked into an isolation room. This group is only made up of the most extreme cases uh, of, of, schizophrenia uh you know people like clinically like the most critical cases so people like you know lamb who killed a whole bunch of people right uh which certainly sounds like the type of people i wouldn't want to lock into a room together uh but all right everybody we're gonna do acid yes they do that (laughs) (laughs) fuck i was about to say that's gonna make it i feel like that way you get worse uh fucking uh yep I somehow uh, I still get to say this though still worse than you can imagine Mm. we'll get there though okay the TES was windowless soundproof and was about 8 feet wide by 10 feet long and was painted all green with the exception of a one way mirror and the cameras don't ask me why it was green I don't know (laughs) it's like a terrible color to pick between 2 and 7 people would be locked in there for hours or days or weeks at a time Ugh. Though, one, that's uh, a big jump. Two to two people in one room, in my opinion, too many already. Sometimes up to seven. Yeah, that's even worse. Now, most like of these little experiments would go for 11 days. Now, if you're thinking, but they have to be let out to use the bathroom or to eat yeah, or like, to whoa. drink. Don't worry, I got that covered. There's a bucket. Also, uh, they did have to eat. So they... they put little like notches in the door where they could feed straws through and people could drink blended food. So you like live in a hamster enclosure. (laughs) 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 And now for some reason, Barker thought they wouldn't be able to find them true selves if they had their clothes on. (laughs) So everybody was also naked. Who hired this guy? They're all on a fuckload of acid. Who hired this guy? Canada! This is a state institution! What? He he lied on his resume. 
Yeah, he actually escaped from the same institution. <laughs> yeah. He just walked right outside, picked up a fucking lab coat, and he's like, I'd like to apply. He's like, again, are they are they already naked in the box? Y- yes, sir. Let's feed them like hamsters. Sir, we found your resume. It's, it's written on a napkin. <laughs> Give him acid. <laughs> right away, sir. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, and uh, so while they're all, they're all now tripping balls, butt naked, eating out of straws and shit for days, right? You know what can make this whole situation worse? If nobody could sleep because he kept the lights on the whole fucking time. Do you play fucking metal music too? <laughs> Put up a Zilla. Surprise, you're in Gitmo. <laughs> yeah. Canadian Gitmo. Uh, get a. Uh, now, in <laughs> that, his defense. That was awful. Uh, boo! Uh, <laughs> Add that to the soundboard. <laughs> Barker insists that everybody who did this was doing it voluntarily. But remember, all of these guys were stuck in this place until they were deemed healthy by doctors. So, like the idea of turning down treatment at the expense of remaining incarcerated meant that you weren't really volunteering for th- like you were compelled to volunteer yourself. You're voluntold, mm. effectively, right? Right, right, uh, right. And wouldn't you know it, Lamb did a fuckload of these experiments. Um, this now, place is great. Barker said that Lamb does very, very well. Uh, he's not aggressive during this whole thing, I assume, because of all of the acid. Uh, <laughs> I think he enjoyed it. His, the, ins- the insanity behind all of it, I think he's like, this is normal. This is, this is the right kind of crazy for me. Yeah, this uh, he, is he, house he was life. considered a a star pupil of Barker's program. So much so, he was taken to the local police academy to give speeches. Huh? Yeah. Lamb was? Yep. <sighs> you know, I, and it's weird because everybody knows who this guy is. He's the first spree killer in Canada. Everybody, it would be like if Dylan Klebold and Eric Harris survived Columbine and then went to go speak at the local police academy. So yeah, he would do speaking tours. Um, he was the example that rehabilitation was possible. If you just lock naked people into a room and melt their brain. You think he was on the stage like naked? He's just natural state. Now, like I know people are, are listening, probably thinking that like we're poo pooing hallucinogens, uh, in therapy, which we are not. Um, there's a lot of, evidence that things like ecstasy and acid and even mushrooms and stuff really fucking help people uh, with like PTSD and various other kinds of um, uh, of illnesses. However, if you go back to our other episode regarding uh, acid experiments, you should know that the level of acid that these guys are doing is fucking insane. Like, it is straight from the laboratory made by actual doctors and will blow your fu- motherfucking shit. Like, this is not microdosing, guys. He's getting his shit melted with an insane amounts of acid. <laughs> fucking tasting words. Like, if this would absolutely be considered abusive if someone attempted to do this today. Uh, Barker could and probably should be in prison. Um... Now, after five years in this facility, uh, it w- Lamb's case was sent to a five-man review board, and they recommended that he be released. Hmm? Uh, now, in I order was joking for this- on the five-year thing. <sighs> Surprise, you were right. Again. It's like, 
You're just lathe of heavening things into resistance. Like, I bet this guy gets out of prison in five years somewhere a monkey paw just curls inward. If that's the case, I bet I get paid to get out right now. <laughs> I bet I'm a civilian. Uh, now, <laughs> I'm on duty, just sweeping. Fuck! God damn it, how did I, I was just podcasting. Um, now, in order for this, re- this recommendation had to be approved. This was not the final authority. And it was sent to the Ontario Executive Council, which is, from my understanding, the highest level of governance in the Providence. So, like, mm. yeah, it's, it's, it's up there. Um, and they agreed. Mm. <laughs> now, this, all right, guys, that's our noble work for the day. Let's all go back to doing coke. Um, <laughs> yeah. The only stipulation of this release is that he would have to spend one year of supervised release living with Dr. Barker and his family. So I say like, Baker, it. let's go. It's Dr. Barker, my bad. Um, so his family owned a 200 acre farm. Uh, and, you know, he had workers and stuff. So he's like, I'll give you a job on this farm. You can earn your living. Do you like fucking leave him outside? Yeah, uh, no, it's really weird. He didn't give him a job, mind you. He was court ordered to stay with him, so he's kind of an indentured servant at this point. Oh, yeah. Um, he was paid, so I guess there's that. Uh, now he became one of the best workers on the farm. Probably happy to be outside and not in a mental institution. I don't mind sweeping your porch, sir. I'll pick weeds all day. Just stop locking me in a box with a whole bunch of other naked people. I wonder if all the workers are naked. Just the, the bar, something Barker just respects is that all of my farm workers must be naked in an acid at all times. It makes now, a weird um, look, cool looking lawn. The government said that he had to be observed during this time, and it seems like he actually really wasn't because Barker was still going to jobs or going like going to his daily job at the mental institution, seeing other patients, and just leaving Somehow this guy to work there. at the farm. Somehow still working there. Yeah. Um, now he worked alone or with other laborers. Uh, and he didn't go anywhere else. Like he seems like he was kind of confined to the farm. He could go off the farm with Barker, uh, but that was pretty much it. Uh, but when the Barker family would travel, they would use him as a babysitter. Oh, that's not <laughs> all right. Yeah. Um, now that doesn't after, seem like it's problematic or anything. We should leave this very clearly healthy man around our children, unsupervised. Uh, do we have guns in the farm? Probably. We have to pay the babysitter. Why would we do that? We got this guy. Yeah. We got this guy who's just drooling as his brain pools in the back of his head from acid. Um, now, after around a year, Lamb told Barker uh, that in order for him to truly come to terms with his diagnosis as a psychopath, because he was clinically diagnosed as being a psychopath, um, right. he felt the need that he needed to travel the world and do something truly purposeful with his life. Now, since you're listening to a podcast about military history, you can probably assume what that purposeful job was. And I'm that honestly was, was wondering when this would play into effect. The military. Nice. Now, this is something that Barker, being the good doctor that he is, totally supported. <laughs> yeah, he's tripping balls too. Like, oh yeah, good, good, good. Now, Barker said... Quote, he seemed like he needed the spree de corps of an army organization. Um, because if there is, you can't put the spree without spree killer. Am I right? <laughs> this is when you need the soundboard. 
Uh, I did not have that written down. I just thought of that. Uh, c- c- truly a comedic nice. mastermind. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, if there's one thing that you should do is put a spree killer obsessed with guns and on heavy psych medications uh, is put them in the military and then give them more weapons and more training. Um, now, despite the fact that he was technically found not guilty, remember, because he's found not guilty by reason of insanity. There's no way he was ever going to be able to lift, uh, enlist in the Canadian military. That shit is still on your record. Mm. Uh, you know, because like Canada has standards. Now, granted, they did once have a very high ranking pilot who was a serial killer. Uh, what? Different story for a different time. Uh, Does that granted, go with our podcast? Can we? Oh, yeah. Eventually. It'll happen. Canada, we're coming for you, baby. All right. These hands are rated E for A. Hey, yeah, that's what I was thinking too. <laughs> now, uh, Barker claimed that at the time, Lan wa- Lamb was, quote, saner than most people. Uh, I think I'll let ev- I mean, literally everyone else be the judge of that. I don't know. <laughs> that's a real broad way to put it. Yeah. So in October 1973, uh, Lamb pooled all of his resources together uh, for a plane ticket. Now, he found his calling as allied Arab states invaded Israel, starting the Yom Kippur War. Lamb decided that he was going to fly to Israel and join the Israeli Defense Forces. Now, Lamb was not Jewish, nor had any connection to the Jewish community yeah, or Israel. Also remember, he once tried, uh, once tried to join both the American Nazi Party and the KKK. <laughs> Maybe he doesn't know that they're Jewish. He might not. Um, I, I don't know. I feel like the flag gives it away. You think so? Yeah, maybe a little. But those things didn't slow him down. He flew to Israel and hitchhiked out to the front lines, what? meeting up with regular is which is just something you can do. Uh, he met up with regular Israeli soldiers. He was shocked to find that, unlike him, they were not obsessed with guns and murder, and instead they just wanted to go home and wish the war would be over. <laughs> this is apparently Reasonable. very disappointing to Lamb. He said, fuck! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but that did not stop him from trying to enlist. Uh, now, as the uh, IDF was clearly... That's a cool a pentagram of- you have on your uh, flag. <laughs> I do like stars, sir. I don't know if you can call it. It's not a pentagram. <laughs> no, but he doesn't know that. <laughs> I'm also a fan of heavy metal. Um, now, I-, I feel like someone putting a pentagram on an Israeli flag is probably something that uh, is common amongst people who use too many parentheses around certain words. Um, now, as the IDF was clearly in a bit of a crisis, uh, they were enlisting pretty much any capable foreigner. Uh, like a lot of uh, soldiers from abroad was like, yeah, fuck it, I'll fight. A lot of them were probably racists because uh, they got to shoot Arabs. Uh, but they did have to have you know background checks and things. They weren't just being like, sure, whatever, John Smith, welcome to the IDF, right? They're going to do their do- due diligence. Um. And that's actually something they still do today to limited extents. Like if uh, you can enlist in the IDF um, and like IDF support units and shit as a foreigner, not an Israeli citizen and things like that. Though it's, it's weird, um, kind of problematic. Uh, but the IDF asked simple questions such as his background. And Lamb was very open and honest with them regarding the fact that, you know, he had murdered two people and spent five years in a mental institution where he mainlined acid. Yeah. This, it turns out, is a bit of a deal breaker for IDF recruitment, and he was not allowed to join. 
how do they see it? And Canada's just like, well, good guy. Well, about that. He doesn't end up enlisting in Canada either. Now, Lamb became very depressed and he decided he would buy a ticket to Australia and just see the world for a bit. But he made a small layover in Zimbabwe, then known as Rhodesia! (laughs) (laughs) Things are And fucking enlisted. Rhodesia had no problem with it. You're a, you're a stand-up guy. Now, <laughs> yeah. Now, for people who are unaware or missed their episode about Rhodesia and why I'm so excited to bring it up again is because the biggest whining motherfuckers in our comment section have been shitty Rhodesia people who are not even around to see this stupid racist fiefdom die. Um, now, here's the yada 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 version of the, sepa- the second Chemaranga or the Bush War. Rhodesia was a racist, unrecognized apartheid state trapped in a multi-front war against its own black citizens who were fighting for their own liberation. Many were communists, some weren't. But Rhodesia was quickly losing that war because they suck and everything you've heard about them being amazing soldiers or whatever is mostly based on racist propaganda they continue to spread after running from their fiefdom and settling in the UK, South Africa, or Australia, or whatever other, ever other Commonwealth backwater they ended up in. Oh, the fact also, that I know people that like Rhodesia. Uh, yeah, well, there's a reason for that. Another person who helped spread this propaganda is a guy named David Grossman. Have you ever heard of the name David Grossman? No. So he's a writer of the book On Killing and calls his the, sci- uh, the, the science that he created about people killing other people, Killology. He trains cops. Huh? Yeah. He called Rhodesians the ultimate counterinsurgency soldiers, which is really weird because they fucking lost and Rhodesia doesn't exist anymore. Right. <laughs> this dude's doing that now? Oh, he's... Yes. He wrote multiple books about it. Um, on Killing is unfortunately on a lot of police academies uh, reading lists as well as militaries, including our own. Um, You probably know Grossman better as a guy who came up with that whole sheepdog wolf situation. Oh, Um, man. Yep. He has given hundreds of seminars to cops and goes around the U.S. about telling people about how killing is, quote, better than sex. You're protecting the herd. Uh, this is all despite the fact that Grossman never once killed another human being or saw combat during his time in the military. I don't know why I went off on that tangent. Otherwise, that it's hardly surprising that a guy who teaches cops how to murder people across the U.S. really likes Rhodesians, too. Um, Lamb landed in the middle of this in October 1974, just before things started to go really bad for the Rhodesians. Well, they weren't great, mind you, but they were circling the drain. Uh, conscription had already been jacked up to all white men between the ages of 38 and 50, and no white men uh, at the age 17 or up were allowed to leave the country because, you know, draft dodging and all that. The only Rhodesians I respect are ones that dodge the draft. (laughs) And even then, you better at least be 16 or or between the ages of 15 and 17 because anything older than that, nothing. Now, Lamb may have been crazy, but he was in shape from farm work. And that was all the Rhodesians really cared about. And he was allowed to enlist without any questions. Uh, I, I am sure there was some minor question regarding criminal history or, or psychological diagnosis. Just answer no. They don't do background checks. Now, this is explained away by another Rhodesian soldier, a guy named Chris Cox. He said that the, uh, the LRI, or the Rhodesian Light Infantry, uh, was kind of like the French Foreign Legion. that They don't ask many questions. Just let people join if they're able. Now, 
This is something of an urban legend about the Legion, and it may have been true back in the day, i.e. 100 years ago, and it's certainly not true today. The Legion rejects a ton of people, including past criminal records, and more importantly, they give psyche vows to all new recruits before they're selected. Uh, they There is no fucking world where they would have enlisted a spree shooter who just spent five years in a maximum security mental facility. Uh, a long time ago, we did an interview with a French Foreign Legion veteran from Ireland, and they almost didn't let him enlist because when he enlisted in the Legion, the troubles was going on. And they were afraid that an Irishman enlisting in the Legion would mean that he might go, he might have sympathies to the IRA. Mm. So if they're going, they might reject a someone from the Republic of Ireland, not Northern Ireland, simply because the fact he's Irish, I have a feeling they'd reject Lamb too. Uh, but those highly touted Rhodesians enlisted him immediately. Now, like most foreign recruits, Lamb was placed in the Rhodesian Light Infantry, or the RLI. Lamb did very well in training. He eventually went into a commando unit, uh, maybe because he had a lot of experience firing guns at people since he was a young age. Uh, According to first-hand accounts, he ditched his antisocial problems, got along fine with his new buddies. They probably all bonded over their mutual respect for the American Nazi Party, (laughs) of which many of the foreigners were members. (laughs) Uh, go back listen to our uh, the broken eagles or the crippled eagles episode of Rhodesia we go into more about all of the Nazis who were volunteered to fight in Rhodesia because there were so many Nazis who volunteered to fight in Rhodesia I will keep saying that (laughs) also a lot of them died and that's where they should be (laughs) Um, now a part of what probably made all of this easier was that Lamb was never open about his history this time around. He had learned his lesson. He never told anybody about his past because even to a group of militant racists, Lamb was probably just a bit much. I imagine. Uh, yeah. Uh, Lamb was also scared that if anything leaked out to the Canadian press, uh, like about him being in Rhodesia, say if he was like killed or captured, uh, his the Canadian press would be like, oh, shit, look, it's the spree killer. And it would ruin his reputation or make people judge Rhodesia harshly. God forbid someone do that, right? Yeah. Uh, Folks, we call this foreshadowing. (laughs) Lamb finished his training and eventually flew home to visit his family on leave. Uh, While there, he wore his LRI dress uniform, and he was incredibly proud of his service in Rhodesia. Dress uniforms? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, according to Barker, he got very, very upset when some Canadians openly voiced that how, Rode- how Rodizo was an incredibly racist place, and he must be racist for fighting for them. Uh, now, Barker does his best to try to defend Lamb at every turn. So, like, he constantly says that, like, um, uh, like Lamb respected black people, and he was just an anti-communist, which we all know what that means. Um his direct quote is, quote, he's simple. Now, okay, before I say this, these are his words, not mine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> quote, he sympathized with the blacks, but believed chaos would ensue if they took over. So, uh, yeah, that means you're racist, bro. Yeah. Barker also claims that he used to get in fights uh, with his fellow soldiers if they treated black soldiers unfairly. And there was black soldiers within the Rhodesian uh, infantry. Uh, they were drafted. Most of them ran from the draft if they could, but you know some were drafted. 
Uh, that seems unlikely to say the least. Okay. So here's why I can't say that this is not true. I will say unlikely Mm-mm. as the LRI was an all white unit. And uh, while black soldiers would eventually outnumber white soldiers in Rhodesia by around 1976, Lamb's encounter with them would have been few and far between as he never joined an unsegregated unit during the time that he was in Rhodesia. So unless they're randomly assaulting people in passing, this wouldn't have happened. Um, or maybe Lamb just made it up and Barker believed it. I don't know. It's one of those situations like, I can't be racist. One of my friends is a black soldier. Yeah. In Rhodesia. <laughs> Still not good. No. While Lamb was home, he never took his uniform off. And uh, now, Ontario, big, uh, big area, Windsor, big city. However, back then, it was um, small town atmosphere, right? And not to mention, everybody know who Matthew Charles Lamb is. People recognize him immediately. His crimes were not that long ago. Right. Uh, so then they just saw him walking up and down the street in the dress uniform of a soldier. And it fucking scared people. Like, uh, the one of the families of the victims saw him walking down the street and, like, would not come out of their house. Uh, probably because, remember, the last time he was walking up and down that street, he was pumping shotgun rounds into people. Yeah. Now, he returned to Rhodesia, and he entered selection to join the Special Air Service and passed, eventually becoming a paratrooper. Though he hated his time in the SAS, uh, because while in the uh, RLI, he saw significantly more combat, while the SAS did like secret squirrel recon stuff. So he requested a transfer back, which he got, um, because he he enjoyed shooting at people from a very young age, and now he was just doing it professionally. By late 1976, he was promoted to Lance Corporal and put in charge of four other junior soldiers right before they were set on Operation Thresher. Uh, Now, in the Bush War, they split military areas up into operations. So Thresher wasn't like a big offensive or whatever. Operation Thresher was simply operations that covered Rhodesia's eastern highlands. Uh, on November 7th, the same year, he and his team were deployed to an area via helicopter to chase down a group of seven insurgents that were spotted. When they landed, they took fire from an area and dove into cover. Lamb and an Australian named Tony Rock stood up and uh, attempted to move forward. And at the same time, an insurgent ran from them from like left to right in front of them. Now, before either of them could react, uh, another trooper named Cornelius Olivier... <laughs> oh, fucking Harry Potter ass name. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't know. I've never seen Harry Potter. <laughs> was was yeah. So uh, Trooper Cornelius Olivier was still in the grass behind them. He saw the the person run in front of them, panicked and opened fire. Despite the fact that two of his own soldiers were directly in front of them, he shot both of them and killed Lamb. <laughs> Holy fuck! <laughs> 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 Suppressing fire! <laughs> Death blossom! <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny because we, we've talked about this a lot, uh, especially back during the Crippled Eagles episode, like how frequent it was for these guys to accidentally shoot one another. I'm just starting to think that they're bad at their jobs, Nick. Probably. Their record definitely tracks. Yeah, they're, uh, they're 0-1 because they don't exist anymore. Rest in piss, Rhodesia. Now, uh, just as Lamb thought, as soon as Canada got word that he had been killed in Rhodesia, the, the press blew his cover. 
One article in the Calgary Herald described him as, quote, a man with a history of violence and insanity. (laughs) (laughs) This also made the Canadian government look bad because it turns out that legally he should have never been issued a passport in the first place due to his many crimes. Yeah. And they even renewed it in 1976, knowing he was serving in a nation's military that they did not recognize, therefore making it illegal. What? Meanwhile, in Rhodesia, Lamb was given a hero's funeral. His remains were led on a gun carriage under the Rhodesian flag and given a full gun salute with multiple senior officers in attendance. At no point did they point out that he got killed by his own men. He was temporarily buried at the same military cemetery that they buried the Nazis in for the last episode that a listener <laughs> peed on. <laughs> Though eventually his cremated remains were sent back to Canada at the request of his family. Uh, his grandmother. Yeah. He just, she was like, oh, fuck, I forgot about him. No, they were in, uh, like, when he went to Canada, he was visiting his grandma the whole time. Oh, I thought he was visiting just Barker. <laughs> Probably also that, like, Barker was his dad. And that's then what I was thinking. Like, yeah. that's his dad. Dad that, figure. That, it really seemed like they had a, a father son relationship because at no point does Barker ever, like, own up to like he killed this kid effect like now i'm not gonna say barker did not um recover he seems to be when he got out of the mental institution and was working on barker's farm even in the like he seemed to be functioning perfectly fine um now under continued close observation medication and rehab he could have led a normal life when he brought up this idea for military service, Barker was like, yeah, you should go do that. It's a great idea. So then he did, and he fucking died. Not to mention how many people, uh, how many uh, Zimbabweans he killed fighting for their own liberation before he got got by his own guy. You know what I mean? So, like, fuck Dr. Barker. Uh, he could have saved a lot of people's lives, and instead he did the worst possible thing he, he could have possibly done. Um, now, the Canadian media did not go unnoticed in Rhodesia. Now, in the main newspaper of the country, the Rhodesian Herald ran a story about Lamb and his history in Canada, including how he murdered two people and spent a whole bunch of time in a mental institution. The editor got flooded with angry letters from soldiers saying that they had to be lying, so the Herald apologized and retracted their story. What? His picture hung on the RLI Commando Wall of Honor until the unit was disbanded at the end of white rule and the death of Rhodesia. He is still memorized, uh, mem- memorialized on the like the Rhodesian LRI web- RLI website. You can still f- they leave all of his history out. They just say that he was killed during Operation Thresher by his own men. They just gloss right over that. Yeah. <laughs> now, you can take this a lot of different ways. He seemed to be flirtatious with ideas of racism and, and Nazism from a young age, uh, who happened to also be crazy. Or you could take the fact that he was fascinated with those things because he was crazy. Either way, he ended up saddling up to, next to a whole bunch of Nazis and dying. So, like, I don't have a lot of sympathy for this guy. No. I don't think he should have been there because his doctor, who... Should have been his fucking legal ward at this point. Um, should have stopped him from doing it. Not to mention, he shouldn't have been allowed to enlist even Rhodesia, even in Rhodesia. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, fuck him. <laughs> if he would have just, if he would just got out of prison 
and worked at a goddamn farm for the rest of his life and not go saddle up with fucking the white nationalist cavalry in Africa. I wouldn't give a shit. Good for him. I'm glad he got rehabilitated. Yeah. But instead, you know what? Sometimes karma takes about 20-something years. <laughs> but, Nick, we do a little thing on this show called Question from the Legion. I don't know why I was expecting a soundboard sound. I don't have one yet. I feel like, I, I, I don't know. What should the intro to that be? I don't know. Like, sick licks from a guitar. Um, yeah. If you got, if you're listening and you have suggestions for what you think the intro to Questions from the Legion should be, let us know. But, until then, <laughs> uh, <laughs> if you'd like to ask us a question from Legion, you can donate a dollar to the show. Ask us through Patreon, <laughs> through our Discord. Um, you could put a message in a bottle and throw it into the Pacific Ocean. Don't do that. That's polluting. Um, attach it to an armadillo. Send that armadillo south. Hope that armadillo finds Nick in Texas. How about that? Doesn't, don't armadillos carry uh, leprosy? I think they do. So when your arm falls off, attach it to the armadillo. <laughs> Send it south to Nick. Um, now, today's... Uh, question is what is the worst mre you've ever had and why is it the pizza mre (laughs) i fucking hate the pizza mre is it that bad no but my thing is when they say pizza slice they mean pizza slice it's one fucking napkin rectangle of a fucking pizza slice that's not filling at all i have to say the worst one that i've ever had is probably i don't remember what the official name for it was but it was old and it was like four hot dogs in a package what the fuck and everybody called it the four oh, fingers of death back when fucking you guys were using muskets and shit fuck you <laughs> yeah no i don't have any real bad experience with mres because i joined at a time where like they were all right like and i also don't care like and i'm you know like, me i'll fucking eat anything <laughs> yeah I mean, I would have to say minor that was that or Country Captain's Chicken, which is real, real what? bad. Yeah, that you can sounds tell like the it's name. wrong. It, you know, I don't know if it's like anachronistic or a rumor. I heard it made a lot of people sick. I think it's just like one of those things. Like sometimes when you add all of these stabilizing chemicals together in just the right combination, sometimes it just gives people diarrhea. <laughs> now I do remember a field food that they got rid of that uh, involved it with. Uh, I think it was like chicken alfredo and then the side was shrimp scampi i know that made people sick i can say from firsthand experience the shrimp scampi made me violently ill i think was it's it good be- yes no it was not it just tasted like cheap butter sauce which i think is what made everybody sick is like the butter sauce just lubed up their insides <laughs> yeah in all honesty probably a good drunk food because you know you need the grease to let the fucking hate that you have for yourself go down. Yeah, I don't know if it might hit too fast. You're too drunk to to respect the drunk poops the next day. It just hits you immediately. Oh, the drunk poops. Yeah. So, but no, Nick, I never had a bad experience with an MRE to be honest. Other than the fucking pizza slice they got me with. I counter that with veggie omelet. I never, I never had the opportunity. It's still there. They haven't discontinued that. Are you sure? They? I haven't seen it. At I've opened point, up a lot of MREs in my life. Maybe they have, honestly. I think good they choice got rid of it. I know for a fact I sent you a new one that I've seen. I think it was something like goulash or something. <laughs> I mean, you can't fuck up goulash. It's like fucking up Chili Mac. I've never had it. So when it's I pretty, tasted it, I was like, this is pretty good. It came with a side of cigarette water. It was good. <laughs> 
somehow this conversation made me hungry. But uh, Nick, thanks for joining me on another great journey into the depths of disgusting Rhodesia. Um, I have to partially admit I did this because I continue to get uh, hate mail over the Rhodesia episode we made a year ago. I honestly thought you did this just because you wanted to dunk on him some more. Also that. I mean, it's, so it's never old. It's like talking right about this. Confederates. This is all right. This is good yeah. with me. It won't be the last one. I'll figure out another way. And when I run out of Rhodesia episodes, Apartheid South Africa, you're fucking next. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Until next time, as always, fuck Rhodesia. (laughs) 